Welcome to Phoenix and Flame, pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. This podcast is not intended for use as psychotherapy. If you feel you are in crisis, please call 911 or contact your local crisis hotline. Welcome to Phoenix and Flame. I'm Dana, and this is my podcast on pushing through and transforming even when you feel like a pile of ash. I have had the privilege and the blessing to be able to interview lots of different wonderful people who have really amazing backgrounds and things they've gone through and the wisdom that they have collected to be able to share they've gone through so that we can come together as a collective and help one another. Well, today I have Dr. Alan Weiser. He is a lawyer and has his PhD. We'll get into that later. So very well learned. Uh, he has this group called New Options Incorporated, a pain management practice, has an extensive background in working with the psychological problems people face when they are living with complex and chronic pain problems. Working at New Options Incorporated, he has participated in multidisciplinary teams that has forged successful collaborations between patients, claim managers, medical practices, and agencies, including the University of Washington Rehabilitation Department, Puget Sound Sports and Spine Physicians, Labor and Industries, other physicians, rehabilitation specialists, and community resources. Now, when Dr. Weiser was 12, he broke his neck in a diving accident at a local swimming pool, and although he nearly died, he developed an unshakable belief that he could and would recover. Now, during that two-year recovery, he came to understand that it was not just physical pain that affected him. The injury had caused a high level of emotional suffering and self-confidence was severely shaken. Now, his former approach to life, based on taking risks and challenging himself, seemed entirely out of reach. So in reaction to this, he engaged in many growth-related activities, including becoming a trial lawyer and taking at martial arts, which eventually led to an emerging need for a more profound change in his life. Dr. Weiser, wow, you have been through a lot and you have turned your life into this wonderful journey that you're now willing to come and share with us on Phoenix and Flame. Welcome. Thank you. It's interesting to see how most of us get where we are through some interesting twists and turns. And seeing that you started out as a trial lawyer, and then you later got you know, your PhD in psychology, I was wondering if you could kind of help us, kind of take us on that journey and understand kind of where you were and, and what brought you through those different twists and turns. Yeah, I would say that the story does start with that accident but the pattern and the connections for that throughout my life have become more recently something I understand, uh, especially in writing the book and tracing that pattern. When I broke my neck, I was one of those kids who thought I could do anything and kind of headstrong. So most people would have taken lessons. I didn't take lessons. I did find out when you do a backflip, you're supposed to dive out from the board, not straight up. Oh, good to know. Good to know. Yeah. So it was very, it was very serious, and uh, you may you made reference to this, but here's what I be, I believe began the pattern that leads me to sit here and talk to you. So I'm 12. 
I'm being told by the doctor when he walks in the room, when I'm at the hospital, they have me in a cast. I know I've got a broken neck, right? And he says, if you don't die and you're not paralyzed, you will be crippled for the rest of your life. Oh my gosh. And you're 12 yeah. when he, the doctor's telling you this. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I didn't die and I wasn't actually paralyzed. I was in the hospital over a month. I would have been there longer, but I hated being there. So I ended up getting home, but I was on my back in a bed for almost a year. I wasn't allowed to get out of bed in a brace. For a year, a 12-year-old uh -huh. boy in a bed in a brace for one year. You're the whole time being told, remember, that I was fragile. Oh, right. my gosh. That I might have survived the worst, but I was fragile. So rest of my life, you're fragile. Okay. Right? More, I had more pain learning how to walk after all the atrophy than I did from the actual broken neck. So there was the physical problem, that, uh, but, but the, what really went wrong for me, I can tell you in my recovery, was that nobody knew how frightened I was. Nobody knew how angry I was, and nobody knew, including me, how angry I was at myself. So I, I end up going through high school on the verge of flunking out the entire time. Right? I have two PhDs. Obviously, I should have been able to get through high school fairly well, right? But it wasn't until I hit junior year where I had a chemistry professor who was one of these particularly likable teachers mm -hmm. who called me over after about three or four months in his class and he goes, why are you failing my class? I go like, because I'm not smart. Which if you talk to me in those days, I would have, con I would have tried to convince you I'm not particularly smart. Okay. I didn't know why I said that. I didn't discover that for later until later years. But if you could have seen the conversation, it was hysterical. He said, yeah, you are smart. I go like, no, I'm not. And he goes, yes, you are. And I go, no, I'm not. I mean, I was convinced, right? So he insisted on tutoring me. I got through chemistry with a C and that got me thinking like, what is going on here? So I came to the conclusion that I might not be smart, but if I work really hard enough, maybe I could do better. Well, looking back, what was it about you that that you think led him to believe unequivocally that you were smart. He must have gotten that information from somewhere. Do you, have you reflected back at all? Well, let's put it this way. Uh, he obviously picked up on the fact that I was smarter than I thought I was. If you talk to me, that's going to be fairly obvious. It's not about information. It's like, you know, no, he, he could kind of sense that he could see that uh, he could see, he knew the difference between a student that was really trying and one that wasn't. And I wasn't. I didn't think there was any point. Right. But the part that is going to be most relevant, I think, to your audience is something I didn't discover until about three years ago. For years and years and years, I overcame this, this sense I wasn't smart, although it actually took not, be, not becoming a lawyer, but actually getting through graduate school and doing really well to finally convince myself maybe you're smart. What? You're kidding me. It took that no. long. No, and, I and got you... there... And you were a trial lawyer, no less. I mean, that takes, yeah. you know, that's a different yeah. brand, too. Well, what I didn't think I had an intelligence I thought I could make up for in dedication, effort, passion. Okay. So here's the part that's really interesting and I think most relevant. Three years ago, I'm working with a patient. I'm actually making reference to the accident. And I realized that I had never explained to myself, why did I start thinking I wasn't smart? I did fine in grade school. You know, why did I start thinking I wasn't smart? How in the world did that happen, right? 
Yeah. Believe it or not, I never asked that question. I'd worked out of it. I'd overcome it. But I never asked myself, why did you think that in the first place? Until a memory came back that I had not had since the accident. The memory was my reaction when the doctor walked in the room and said what he said. I thought to myself, stupid, stupid, stupid. Look what you've done to yourself. Oh, wow. Right. And that got lodged in there and just stuck. It got, it got lost. Right. This is a, this is the problem with chronic pain. And, and that's, I think that's really the best way to capture this is it's, it's, it's a multi eventful event. You have the injury. And then you have all these things that happen because of the injury. Mm-hmm. I refer to them as collateral damage. Mm-hmm. You know, there's things like sleep loss, loss of physical conditioning, deactivation. Then you have all kinds of additional stressors, but it gets, it can be as many as 200 collateral damages, including loss of identity, loss of self-esteem, right? There are so many things when you look at this holistically, mm-hmm. there are so many things that contribute to this. What happens is those collateral damages actually feed back into how much pain you have and they undermine recovery and the medical system is not designed to treat any of it you know simple example right you ever been to a doctor and they ask you to do a pain rating on some pain problem you have you ever had the experience where you say it's an eight and they go looking at the studies it should be a four (laughs) or something like that where there's a disconnect right right but they don't say to you well if you have sleep disruption and physical conditioning laws and this and this and this and that, that could make it worse. So instead, the patient's left thinking, they don't know what's wrong with me. And the doctor's thinking, this person's hysterical. Pretty much every referral I've ever gotten is from a doctor who does not understand what's going on with the patient, but thinks a lot of their suffering is somehow in their head, Mm -hmm. which it isn't. It's in their existence. It's in their life. So... That early experience had really clued me into what can happen when something like that happens. Because I had basically been told I was fragile. So thanks to that chemistry teacher, the next thing I did was when I got to college, I go like, okay, if I'm going to have to be fragile for the rest of the life, my life, I want to prove it to myself. Not that I didn't trust the doctors, which is when I signed up for judo and trampoline. I still remember the first time my instructor threw me to the ground. Have you ever seen judo? Uh, yes, I have. Yeah. They slam you to the ground. And yes. I remember that. I still remember that first throw going like, okay, I'm either dead or maybe something better. I've done martial arts for over 50 years. My neck's fine. Now, maybe I would have had the fate that the doctor suggested, but that is also very relevant to patients with chronic pain, where they are often given a sentence, mm-hmm. learn to live with your pain, right? A life sentence right? Learn to accept your pain. I would never tell a patient to accept their pain. I would tell them they need to acknowledge it and deal with it, but acceptance is not acceptable, right? So this idea that you can predict the future, that the doctors told me you're crippled for the rest of your life, they could have said, look, based on our experience and what we've seen before and this kind of injury, but not to mention major advances in medical science, where at this point, saying to anybody that things have to be permanent, why would you say that? That's a good point. What do you think helped you? I mean, looking back, you were able to, it seems, challenge because you were told that you were going to be fragile for the rest of your life, that you were going to be impaired and hampered for the rest of your life. And 
you seem to go out and do things that challenged it. You think I'm either going to die, this is either going to kill me, or I'm going to figure out that I'm something else other than what they said I was. When I think about that, that sounds just amazingly wonderful. And I think about all the people that don't get to that point, that they're still stuck. What if, if some of those people happen to be listening in the audience right now, what is something that you might share with them? How do they make that bridge? Yeah, I'm smiling because the answer may sound simple-minded, uh, and I'm not trying to be facetious. As a child, I was fascinated with science fiction. Uh, I was curious. Right? I was always picking up that rock to see what was under it. So my essential nature was to try and find out, try and make things happen, see what's possible. Science fiction is all about possibilities. I'd always been headstrong and determined. So if I got on something, I would stay with it. And even though the accident shattered my confidence, it didn't change who I was, which is something that most people don't understand, that nothing, nothing can change who you essentially are. You can get lost. You can become disconnected from it, but you don't lose your essential self. And years later, my sensei referred to that as fighting strength. You know, he came to me one day and said, uh, I'm going to teach you some secret family techniques. And I go, sensei, I don't understand. Why would you do that? I'm not your best student, not even close. He goes, that may be true. He said, but you have something that's hard to find. He says, you would never give up if it came down to it, nor would you ever misuse what I teach you. You have fighting spirit. Now, Fighting spirit is not unique to me. We all have that. We are designed by evolution with infinite potential. Right? You think about it, right? You come into this world as a living entity, it's dangerous. All right? We're going to run across a lot of things, but we're designed to meet the challenge, overcome the challenge, adapt, assimilate, and reinvent ourselves. What people with chronic pain find out is that they, they think they're a one-trick pony. If I can't be who I was, I can't function the way I did, then I'm done, right? That's never going to be true. It is true that people believe that. It's also true that like COVID, people with chronic pain run up against something that is completely life-challenging, right? It's a major event. It is not something minor. It is not simply you have a persistent pain problem. Your whole life has been affected. And just like COVID, everybody's had to change pretty much everything about their lives, right? Mm -hmm. But chronic pain patients don't know they need to do that. They don't know that they have the innate potential to figure out how to deal with this. The basic problem is they don't seek peace of mind through mastery. They either like what they experience or they don't. And if they don't like it, they tend to be avoidant. So they don't want to deal with their feelings. They don't want to deal with the pain. They're constantly trying to move away from their experience. Understandable, but not allowing you to tap into what you can bring to bear to actually help to and to use your connection to rise from the ashes. Now, I work with over 2,000 patients in the last 20 years. If I hadn't seen it in action, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you about it. If I hadn't done it myself personally, I never talk to patients about anything that I haven't practiced. Mm -hmm. So my patients have inspired me because I see how it works. So if you look at the book, the part of the title is Unraveling the Mystery. What that simply means is most people don't know how much has happened, right? Which is why my patients fill out a 70-page intake packet, which looks at every possible collateral damage mm -hmm. up front. Now, here's what's interesting. 
it's certainly daunting to go like, I just thought I had, you know, bad back, but now you're telling me I've got these 30 other things. I go, yeah. Right. Because if you, if you don't know, you can't attend to them. Right. If you don't attend to them, then they're affecting you and you have no control over it. Right. But they're kind of reassured. They go like, okay, well, that's makes more sense of why I haven't been able to go any further than I have. Because most patients have this secret fear. They're not trying hard enough. They haven't done enough. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. You're like, no, you, you thought you were fighting one or two opponents. You're fighting 30 people. You wonder why you're down on the floor. I like the way you put that because it's true. Right? There's so many components oh, involved. Yeah. I can remember back to a point that you made a few minutes ago, years, like decades ago, I used to work with a, a, a rehabilitation center here in this city. And there was an inpatient and an outpatient version. And I worked in both. And the outpatient version, it wouldn't be uncommon for a physical therapist to be working with a patient. And the patient should have been making a certain level of recovery. They should have been reaching greater ranges of motion, lifting more, this kind of thing, but they were not. And the physical therapist would get stumped they wouldn't know what to do. The physician wouldn't know what to do. So then psychology gets the referral. Here you go. Here's this patient. They're, they should be doing better than they are. It must be in their head. And so right. then the patient feels like something's wrong with them. And then it's just, it, it was not, they did not have a good system like you're describing. Yeah, it's tragic, actually. i give you an, another example. When I started out in pain management, before that, I'd worked for years with a chronically mentally ill. So I'll make reference to that later, but we would have staffings every week with the entire team. And I worked at a very good pain management practice. So they had all the disciplines in one place. And this was a program where patients came eight hours a day for six weeks. So they got every modality, right? Really good people, good program. But the PTs would be sitting there and going, the patient's resistant to treatment. They won't do it. Or they're getting angry, right? I go, okay. So do you ask the patients, why are they saying no? Or why are they reacting to it? And they go, yeah. And they say, because it hurts. I go, okay. Did you ask them how they feel about the fact that it hurts? Now I knew this because I was seeing these patients as a psychologist. You have chronic pain, right? You don't have a clear understanding of what's going on or why treatment hasn't worked. This has been going on for years. You come into an intensive program where they're doing a lot more of what you still don't understand. You're always worried about re-injury or worse. And so when you're in PT, which is not clearly explained to you, and you start having more pain, you will become more anxious and angry. So I said to the patients, if you're in a situation like that where the pain is freaking you out, say to the PT, I need to understand why I'm having more pain right now. I need you to reassure me. I'd like to try, but I'm not feeling safe. I said to the PTs, ask the patient when they're acting in a resistant way, if they're frightened and ask them what you can tell them that would help them to feel safer. That's fabulous. Yes. We started changing that as a practice and it turned things around immediately. This is exactly what you were getting at. This is an idea that it's only a physical event. There's two chapters in my book about all the things that go wrong in physical treatment and not intended to be critical of the medical establishment, but definitely a demonstration of the limitations of it. So this, this perception that it's in their head because they don't understand why it's not working because they don't take the trouble to take into account the collateral damages. Mm 
it's incredibly irresponsible to say the least. There's so many factors going on. And I like the way you mentioned avoidance earlier, because that is huge. And, and we understand why somebody would avoid something, but the avoidance of it usually involves at some point or along, they're going to have to, well, you run into people that end up sometimes with substance abuse issues. Oh, sure. Because they're using that to try to avoid, they don't want to face these things. And when you have chronic pain, you mix that in plus the pain medication that they need. And it gets, I imagine it gets to be some, some interesting stew. Yeah. I often with patients that I see, because I, I sort of have a reputation for working well with people that think are difficult patients, which from my point of view are patients who are severely neglected hmm. and misunderstood. You can overcome that when you say to people, look, you can continue to avoid it. And I get it. I don't like bad experiences any more than you do, but there's no power in that. Right. There's no you know, substance abuse. I don't think of these in, as pathological. There's no such thing in my mind. They're all attempts to try and help yourself. Mm -hmm. But a lot of coping techniques come with massive side effects. Yeah. So I'm going like, you know, that's very costly. You're going to lose a lot more than you gain. So find another way. But you can't really help people do that if they don't know that addressing their pain, addressing their suffering, embracing that suffering. When you think about this, why do we grieve, right? Why do we go to a funeral or a wake and we help each other grieve? Why are we doing that? Grieving doesn't change the fact that somebody's dead, right? So what's the point of grievance? Grievance is a reflection on the fact that life can be painful, but that living life is the value. And so you can applaud yourself for having the courage to live your life and run the risk of suffering. You can applaud yourself for caring enough about somebody to be caused great pain by losing that person. That life has very little meaning if you're not willing to take risk. So do your patients, when you're explaining this to them in this very wonderful way, a very empathetic way, but direct as well, you know, you're addressing it, you're meeting them right there where they are, does the response to you tend to be understanding and then they're able to kind of turn a corner or do they seem to be, if they continue to struggle with some form of, of fear or slash resistance or whatever, what happens then? Well, sorry, when I smile, I'm just reflecting on the experiences I've had. I've seen a lot of patients. Most people, by the time they've talked to me for a few minutes, filled out the intake packet and had the first meeting are in a totally different zone. Because two things happen for the first time, and this is consistent with people. They go like, you're the first person I've ever run into who understands what's really going on. You get it. You actually get it better than I got it. <laughs> That's very reassuring for people to go like somebody really understands. And then I say, okay, uh, not only do I understand, but once we've identified all the things we need to deal with, there are techniques. Unlike a lot of your medical treatment, there'll be no mystery about what you need to do with this. There's no mystery about how to achieve mastery, right? It's very much like the martial arts. We'll teach you a way of operating like martial arts. We go from not knowing how to fight what you're dealing with to knowing how to master what you're dealing with. And that is that taps into something that goes beyond chronic pain, which is what you might see referred to in the book, the existential immune system. So I think this is really important to mention to people. You get, if you work with me or even if you look at the book, you'll start out already being better off just for getting the information. You'll find in every meeting that something's going to happen that begins to build hope that things can be different. But 
what we learned about this in dealing with people is that we don't just have a physical immune system. You think about it from an evolutionary point of view, we have an emotional, psychological, and existential immune system. We actually have a toolkit that has been provided to us by millions of years of evolution. We don't even know we have it, nor even if we knew, do we know what the tools are or how to use them. So once we get into talking about, this is how you optimize your potential. You know, and there's a lot of concepts in here that are controversial. For example, I will tell you that self-esteem has nothing to do with who you are. Nothing at all. You may not like yourself. You may be displeased, but self-esteem is inviolate. And why is that? From an evolutionary point of view, survival point of view, do you really want to attach your self-esteem to something transitory, like your identity and who you are? Makes no sense at all. Besides, if you don't like who you are, you can change it. So that's a tough concept for people to get wrapped their head around because what I discovered is that most of my patients are suffering more than anything because they found out they don't love themselves. Hmm. They thought they did. It did to some degree, but it was usually conditional. So this idea chips away at it. It says you, have, you are attaching your self-worth to something that is completely changeable and transitory. Once you realize you were born with that potential, you still have that potential, that self-love is based on that, nothing else. That's a powerful idea. It's very powerful. I'm thinking right now as I'm listening to you that it seems like a lot of people attach their self-esteem to their performance. What well, they, they attach it to all kinds of things, achievement, being perfect, right? You know, those, mm-hmm. you know about belief systems, negative belief systems. Yeah, people attach it to what they can do, right? And if you have a chronic pain situation that interferes with a person's ability to accomplish these things, to perform these things, then if that's what they've attached their self-esteem to, then there it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, case in point, what happened to me, right? Even though I was suffering from this accident and everything that flowed from it, even though I was ignorant about a lot of that, who I was, ultimately who I was innately, continued to push forward. Right. I just started joining hands somewhere along the line Mm -hmm. and started working in collaboration and then achieved a unity about it. But that clearly demonstrates to me you cannot destroy the human spirit. I worked for 10 years in a state mental hospital with psychotic institutionalized patients. And I was really reassured to find out even with that, you cannot destroy the spirit. That real person's still in there. Mm -hmm. And I spent many years finding that person. But that person was there. And once you can achieve alignment with that, you can actually help people. So when people think that it's impossible, they cannot, right? They think they're helpless. That is never going to be true. What is true is you may not like your options. You might not be willing to face the hard truth. But the first step to empowerment is acknowledging negative realities. If you're not willing to deal with that, you're not going to be successful in overcoming it. So... This existential immune system, you're probably curious, what are the tools, right? Yes. All human experience ultimately is defined by thoughts and feelings, right? They're kind of the basic elements of experience. Everything gets translated into thoughts and feelings that leads to action, right? Mm -hmm. Interesting question. What creates thoughts and feelings? Perception. It's how you perceive things determines how you think and feel about them, right? Yes. You know, for example, if I was at the scene of a terrible car accident, I'd be throwing up. Uh, but if I was an EMT, I'd, be, I'd probably be having lunch while I was picking up body parts. Same event, mm-hmm. different experience, different right? Perception. Different perception, different thoughts, different feelings. Mm-hmm. 
But then it gets even more interesting. What determines perception? Background, history. Awareness. Everything you know. Right. So, you know, this in, in, in therapy, every therapy raises awareness, raises consciousness. Right. Mm-hmm. You start. Re, you've been through this. I've been through this in my life where you remember how you used to see the world as a five year old, 10 year old, 15 year old, 30 year old. Awareness changes perception. Perception changes thoughts and feelings. Chronic pain patients are led to believe that they are helpless and dependent. They're led to believe that they have to live with what they what they've had happen to them, including all of the loss, all of the limit. Instead of being told that's the way it is now, what are we going to do to find out whether there's some way to reclaim some of that territory or minimize or marginalize some of that impact? Well, where's the action? The action's in how you think and what you do with your emotions. Let me just pause and ask you something because I'm thinking of patients that I've seen before in the uh, rehab, the outpatient rehab unit, and also since then. It seems like sometimes people are in those positions and they become, because of the, the events that have unfolded, then they are dependent in a sense. And then sometimes, not that someone's doing this on purpose, but I think it just kind of naturally unfolds at times, people come around and start doing things for them because they love them and they want to care for them. And it creates sort of like this dependency that sometimes I feel like at different times they don't realize it, but they attach to that dependency and then they don't, they're afraid of letting go. It's almost as if they're kind of holding the impairments around them like a cloak, like a safety, like a security blanket. And when you're dealing with them as a therapist and you're trying to get them to have that awareness that you're talking about, but you can see them almost curling up, like holding it closer and closer. The more you try to get them to see the dynamics of what's going on, the the more they kind of don't want to see it because it's almost like it's become a security blanket and that the people that are doing things for them and they don't really want to come out of that, it scares them. The thought of that scares them. How have you been able to, to really help and reach out to individuals like that? Well, for starters, it's completely understandable, mm-hmm. right? But remember that you're being infantilized by the process. Mm-hmm. You're being told by doctors, depend on me. No doctor's telling you how much you can do for yourself independent of actual treatment, right? There's a huge amount of things you can be doing for yourself outside of official treatment. So the message from the community is a dependency-based model. And it's natural for people to rely on other people when they think that they've become dysfunctional. Yes. So I go like, I understand. Although ironically, most patients, even if they've become dependent or shamed by it, many patients do their best to try not to be dependent on people, to not, quote, burden people with their situation. One of the things most people don't do at all is talk about how we feel. They might talk about it hurts, but they don't talk about how it feels. They don't think they can actually communicate their experience to people that have never had it, which isn't true, by the way. Right? Everybody's had physical pain and everybody's had suffering mm-hmm. and everybody's had something persistent. And that's it. You attach that to somebody else's experience and they'll understand yours. So I say, look, is that dependency useful? Is it helping you to rebuild? Is it helping you to reclaim your life or is it actually enabling instead of supportive. But let's take a look because it may be a healthy dependency. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then you have the complications of childhood. If as a child, you never had your dependency needs met, you're going to be looking for them, Mm -hmm. which by the way, is part of the trauma of treatment. 
patients like that who are hoping finally I'm going to be taken care of, right? Yep. And then they're not, right? Just think about the stress that adds to the patient. Yes. Right? So I approach it like I approach everything. I get it. I understand it. I think it's part of an understandable reaction, but where are we going with it? Is it moving you towards recovery or is it moving you towards greater and greater dependency, which may not be necessary? If it is, it is. If you need a wheelchair, use a wheelchair. Mm -hmm. But how many people in wheelchairs do incredible things? I, I just saw this uh, the show on TV where people are doing stunt work. And there was this young man who had uh, spina bifida. Right. So pretty much from childhood, he was in a wheelchair. He couldn't use his legs. And he does this amazing going down this big slide and does a flip in the air on his wheelchair. <laughs> comes down on the other side. I mean, something you wouldn't want to try on a bigger vehicle, right? And I'm going like, okay, there's a person who is not taking that wheelchair as a limitation. Mm -hmm. It might be useful getting around, but they're not, they're not dependent on it in the sense that they have to feel safe by being in the wheelchair, move it safely. So it's not being Pollyanna to say to people, look, I don't know if you can go any further with this or not, but if you can't see opportunity, you can't see possibility. And this approach says, okay, I understand right now you're depressed. You're overwhelmed by anxiety and anger. But if you knew that depression is a coping mechanism that's trying to shut down anxiety and anger, if you knew that anxiety and anger, which you'll have lots of with chronic pain, because they only happen when your needs are threatened. I said, if you know how to use those two emotions, which by the way, are the two most important human emotions, they have a functional purpose. If you know how to use those, you could actually turn this suffering into gain. You could learn from this, or if you get behind those emotions, you get into those emotions, you show respect for your feelings. Mm -hmm. You show compassion for yourself. You will learn things you don't even know. So it really sends this message that there's a way to feel empowered and to recover. It is a, a cookbook of skills. There are techniques, there are techniques, specific techniques to how to make use of that, to have better use of thinking, you know what the problem is with thinking? What's Everybody that? thinks thinking is such a cool tool, right? <laughs> but they forget that there are, there are forms of thinking that are not, that are counter-revolutionary. Judgmental thinking, which our society is toxic with, yes. right? Assumptions, rationalizations, magical thinking, magical thinking, right? Uh, Belief-based thinking. So thoughts can be unreliable. You know the expression, trust your gut? Mm -hmm. Nobody ever told you to trust your head, right? <laughs> right, right, that's and that's of. why. That's why because it isn't completely reliable. Your feelings will never be wrong, ever. The premise may be faulty. You know, a paranoid psychotic patient may tell me they're terrified because they're pursued by aliens. The feeling's legitimate because they believe it. Right. It's not the feeling that's wrong. It's the platform for it. So, and how often are patients told you shouldn't be feeling that way? You shouldn't be having that much pain. You shouldn't be suffering that much, right? There's something wrong with you, right? Mm. Uh, unfortunately, it's the message. So, you know, the book was written to, uh, there's only so many people I can see, but being aware that this learning about what you're up against and learning how to deal with it is very powerful. And as a as an approach, as far as I know, it doesn't exist anyplace else. Uh, I'm sorry. So that that's kind of a... A summary of some of the elements of this. This is just fascinating. I mean, I feel like I could sit here and just listen to you talk for hours. I mean, you, your, your knowledge base and your background are just amazing. And I think your patients must have just been so blessed to have 
you there to help guide them because there's so many people in this field that just quite frankly, you know, like we've said before, they're trying, but their understanding of it is limited. And then the one that suffers is the patient that has the chronic pain, which also causes problems in their relationships because the chronic pain then they causes a constellation of behavioral shifting and belief shifting about themselves, about other people. And then you have all these issues that are going on sometimes with their family members and the people that they need to lean on. And it's just goes on and on. But then, like you said, the medical community is not particularly helpful. So, you know, it's funny. Uh, I work with really good doctors. I have a lot of respect for them and they know the model. And that's why I haven't looked for a referral in over 15 years. So, I said to them, I go like, okay, you get this, you understand it. You invite me to presentations to talk about this, but you haven't changed your practice. I said, why haven't you incorporated this into your own intakes? Why haven't you brought it into your dialogue? What do you think the answer was? I have no idea, but I'm very interested to know. The answer was you're the specialist. We just have to refer people to you. (sighs) We're talking about really good doctors, some of the best. Uh, I go like, you know what, it's a good thing for you that I'm still not practicing as an attorney because I would have a wonderful malpractice practice, right? I, I don't think of it that way. I don't feel adversarial about it, mm-hmm. but I, I, I do think my decision wasn't to try and ma- change the medical system. I decided to do my best to educate and empower patients. Yes. Uh, part of the things that we're doing, that we're working on now are different classes for people to go along with the book. One of those classes is going to be, here's your job description as a chronic pain patient. Here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to do. Here's how you become a partner in treatment, right? You know more than your providers will ever know about your experience. You have incredibly important longitudinal information, which nobody's bothered to tell you to present Mm -hmm. or to even think about or to use. So patients tell me, I don't know why I have flare-ups. I don't know why I'm becoming more depressed. I go, let's, let's look at the video. Let's look at the last three or four days, last week or two of your life. Oh yeah. Now I see it. But no doctor says you need to look for the patterns, Mm -hmm. right? You need to come through the door with the graphs and charts that show the experience you've had. And there's too much focus on the physical pain, right? If you have persistent pain, the focus needs to be on functioning, right? If I said to you, if you had to choose between pain or functioning, which would you choose? Yes. Functioning. Okay. So uh, once patients understand this, that it's about achieving higher levels of functioning, recapturing what's lost, reinventing it, right? Uh, In the martial, I have a number of various injuries I've acquired over the years. So I've changed the way I do martial arts. I even, after 40 years, changed from a Japanese system to a Chinese system because that system was equally effective, if not more so, but also didn't tax parts of my body that weren't too happy with what I was doing. So I continue to be a martial artist and I do it somewhat differently. So what, right? Uh, It's about agency. Yes. You know, as, as I'm listening to you, a quote from Charles Darwin is coming to my mind. Now let's see if I can get it correct. It is not the strongest that will survive, nor the most intelligent. It will be those most responsive to change. Yeah. That's similar to something that was said years ago about when there was changes made in intelligence testing, where they realized that dependence on knowledge 
and information wasn't the best measure. So what do you think they decided was the best measure of intelligence for a test? Street smarts. <laughs> Survivability, right? Survivability, yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so before we wrap up, I want to make sure that my listeners know exactly where to go to be able to access your wonderful information. So in terms of, and I, I'm going to put all this in the show notes, but I still want to say it for the auditory processors. Website, which website should they go to? Okay, so the website is newoptionsinc, that's I-N-C, dot com. That also will give you access to the book, to the classes, to other information. I will say this now, having done several podcasts, if people are really interested in what we talked about, they can go buy the book. Uh, but I think actually they might be better off if they have a consultation. I'm not looking for patients. I Frankly, I have too many patients. But we just had a conversation about this. When I start out with people, I just talk to them about this approach. Mm -hmm. I think that helps to make it worth somebody's while to bother to look at a book. The book right now is more helpful to patients I've been working with who now have the textbook for the course. Gotcha. So, so I think it's kind of daunting to hear this and go, that sounds cool, but am I going to read a book? And yeah. how am I supposed to do that? And that looks like a lot of work. If they understand the minute they involve themselves in this information, it's going to change things. And if they see the logic of this, they're going to want to pursue those avenues because they already know the limitations of what they've done. Mm -hmm. And this is, I'm not trying to boast about this, but this is well beyond which you would normally encounter in treatment any place I know of. I left that clinic. I started in no matter how good it was, they wouldn't change the psychological model. As I started developing this, they go like, we don't need to do that. People in, people in my profession are the people who seem to understand it the least, by the way. Nobody else has a problem. The doctors, the rehab people, they get it. Mm -hmm. So well, I think that people should definitely check out the website. Keep in mind, it might be daunting to think about just reading the book. Right. Uh, there's other ways. There's other ways to really look at this and take a look at it. And I think that has to be respectful. Yes. Because people are people are chronic pain patients become cynical. They start feeling hopeless. They're they're so tired of treatment. Mm -hmm. It's why I send them a big intake package so we don't have to have six months of conversation. Right. They get it out of the way up front. So, with respect, if you want to check this out, be aware of the fact that you may not want to. <laughs> And that's, that's legitimate. Yes. And really, you can keep living your life the way you have been, or here's an option. You know, either yeah. one is fine. We're not judging, you know, yeah. but what I really love what you're doing is you're just presenting a really good option that if they're in a point of their life where they would want to consider something different, where they're ready, because people, this is the same way in, in psychotherapy. Sometimes people feel like, they need to change. Other people are telling them they need to change. But when they come into mm -hmm. therapy, it doesn't take me very long to figure out, you know, you don't really feel like it's, it's the right time for you right now. Why don't you kind of think about this for a while and then come back, you know, three months, six months, whenever you decide for you that right. you're ready, because this kind of work requires some self-reflection. It requires changing things. Like you said, developing awareness and opening up to have that awareness is sometimes scary oh, and daunting, scary. you know? Yeah. So yeah. it's like, I like the fact that you're offering this as it's an option. If anybody out there is ready, yeah. you know, go to newoptionsinc.com. And it, I really like the way you're giving it a step 
you know, graduated process rather than just saying, here, here's a 400 page book or something like that. Yeah. Quick, quick footnote. The way that people need to conceptualize this as you have an operating system that worked well enough, but you encountered chronic pain and it's no longer working as well. So we're not talking about you being broken and needing to be fixed. We're talking about upgrading the system. We're talking about U 2.0. I don't get caught up in pathology. I don't get caught up in diagnostic labels. I don't find them helpful. We operate in a certain way, and then we may need to evolve. So this is a process of personal evolution. If you're interested in evolving and becoming optimized as a human being, so not just pain, but everything about your life changes, but it's a journey. And if you're interested in engaging on the journey, understand that the first step is the journey. It isn't like three months from now, six months from now, 10 years from now. It starts right away. That's wonderful. Well, Dr. Weiser, thank you so much for spending your time and your wisdom to come and share with my audience. I'm, I know they're going to just love this and be able to reach out to you through your website. It's just, I really appreciate it. So guys out there, if you have heard anything today, and I know you have, that has been helpful to you, or maybe you know someone, maybe you know a friend or a coworker or a family member that has been really struggling maybe for decades with chronic pain issues. And maybe it's enveloped, you know, it it has just expanded into relationship problems. Maybe it's possibly expanded into some substance abuse issues and other things going on. Tell them about this podcast episode. Tell them about going to newoptionsincorporated.com or INC, newoptionsinc.com as a way of possibly turning a corner and experiencing life, experiencing themselves, but 2.0, Put this on your preferred social media platforms, send it through texting, email, just really get the word out to our Phoenix and Flame community. Let's grow our community so we can help one another in very non-judgmental ways, just reaching out and saying, hey, here's some information that might help. You can also go to phoenixandflame.com that has all of my Uh, episodes sitting there. There's a contact me page. If you have a comment or a question or an idea of something that you would like me to talk about on my podcast, you can communicate with me that way. So I hope you all are having a wonderful day. This is Dana on Phoenix and Flame.